Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church. Give me one second. I need a plug in my ear. Great things we did to your 
Like I said, my name is Eddie, and I'm so happy to be here this morning to worship with you guys. And as we just go into this next song, my prayer would be that we would just open our hearts this morning to receive what God has for us. So let's continue to worship in song. God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations, I know you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Oh, your faithfulness. the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you though things are possible, I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd more courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm sending on your faithfulness. Oh your faith. same God, you are the same God, 
you answered prayers back and you will answer now you are the same God you are the same God you were providing you are providing you are the same God you are the same God you moved in power then God moved in power you are the same God you are the same you are a healer you are a healer you are the same God you are the same God you are the Savior you are a Savior you are the same God you are the same God oh God my God I need you oh God my God I Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning to captivate us, to meet us where we are. I pray that we would continue to worship you, that we would lay our burdens at your feet, God.
nothing worth more that will ever come close nothing can compare you're our living hope your presence Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord let's sing it Holy Spirit Holy Spirit you are welcome come flood this and fill the atmosphere your glory God is what hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Lord your presence Lord There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit oh, Holy Spirit you are welcome you come
let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other day the only one who could ever save worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you 
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
Father, would we continue to trust you? I pray as we just open your word this morning that we would just be ready to receive, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to gather with you. And uh, I'm hearing and actually talking with many people week after week these days that you're kind of coming back. And uh, you've never been away spiritually, but you've been away physically, and you're kind of coming back. And it's, it's, it's good to gather with you. Uh, you know, there's so many phrases that you just had an opportunity to lift up in song as we praise together, as we worship the Lord together. Uh, there's one phrase that stood out to me, basically, because I know kind of where we're going, and that is, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let's just be honest together. This is church, right? I kind of sometimes want to suddenly say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, sort of. <laughs> God, you are welcome to work in this area of my life and in this area, but over here, yeah, no. So let me just warn you. Let me just kind of prep you. We're going to get a little personal this morning towards the end of this message, and we're going to go after something that I really want to encourage you. If you really want more of God's presence filling and fueling your life, you just can't be defensive where God wants to do his work. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome anywhere you want. Because where you want to work is where the needs are. Good to go? Just warning you. And you don't even know where I'm going. I do. And God's been working in this area of my life. And uh, I don't think, I know I'm not alone, that more work is needed right there. So if you have your Bible, uh, physical or digital, outside or inside, on the couch, uh, take a look with me at Mark chapter 14. We've been in this series for a long time, over a year. We've been in this series going through the 16 chapters of this short gospel. It's the shortest gospel of the four. And the gospel writer, John Mark, is writing his case for Christ. He's calling people, especially uh, those outside of a Jewish context. He's writing to the capital city of Rome and its surrounding Gentiles. And then it becomes a circular letter. Uh, what about the rest of us that don't have a Jewish background? And so he makes your life about Jesus' mission. He came for you too. He came for me too. So have you decided yet what to do with this man? Is he more than a man? Is he Messiah? Is he just for the Jew? Is he also for the Gentile? Is he for the people back then? Is he for people today? And uh, do I buy in or do I back away? We've been in this now for quite some time. But you know, sometimes when you buy in, like Peter, he's going to be the focus of this morning. Sometimes even when we buy in, we back off. And then what do you do then? That's the focus of this morning. So let's just go ahead and dive right on in. Let me give you a little bit of where we've been. Uh, I'm calling this message... Peter's trial. Peter's trial went on the same time as Jesus's first trial. 
Next Sunday, Jesus will be tried in a Roman court with Pontius Pilate. And that's next Sunday. Uh, This morning and last Sunday, he was in the Jewish trial. The Sanhedrin, the 70 elders of the Jewish people, uh, they get together and they try Jesus and they convict him for claiming to be God himself. We talked about that last Sunday. So again, the first trial happened inside the house of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. And uh, you heard his testimony, Caiaphas said. Uh, You heard his blasphemy. He proclaims to be him. He proclaims to be God. What is your decision? And they all condemned Jesus as deserving death because no man can deserve or or can declare him to be more than a man and, uh, and get away with it on our watch. And some began to spit on Jesus and to cover his face and to strike Jesus, saying to him, prophesy, you claim to tell the future. Well, who hits you? And the guards received him with blows. So again, Jesus' trial uh, is concluding uh, on a Thursday night. The same time, Peter's trial is also going to begin and conclude the same night on the outside. There is a courtyard outside of Caiaphas' larger house that literally 70 of the Sanhedrin elders could fit into. Uh, And uh, when Peter is waiting on the outside, warming himself, um, some questions, some accusations come his way. And uh, these are the same questions And I would say accusations. I wonder if we would be found guilty. That's where we're going to go. So uh, let's let's dive on in. Uh, To kind of ramp up to the next passage we're going to look at. Let me go back a little bit. But not just go back and deal with all the stuff we've unpacked. But let's focus in on Peter. And so let's go back to verse uh, 46. And so this is Garden of Gethsemane. This is before he was taken back in to be tried by the Jewish Sanhedrin. And they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him in this garden. He was arrested. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, that would be Caiaphas, and cut off his ear. We were already here before. That is Peter. Because in John chapter 18, although Mark doesn't give the detail, uh, John 18 says, it was Peter who pulled out his sword. And I meant what I said. No one's going to take my Lord, my Savior, my Messiah with, with, with me not doing anything. So he pulls out his sword. He either goes vertical or he goes horizontal. But one way or another, the ear is lopped off. The guy named is Malchus in John. We, we learned that he is a servant of, of, of the high priest, but he also has a relative that we're going to be introduced to in just a minute. So that's Peter. Peter is being a soldier. He's being a warrior and a defender of Jesus, showing some courage. And then at that moment, basically Jesus saves his life. Because the Romans were about to take Peter out. You don't do that because they're right there with their swords and clubs. And, Pete, and Jesus says, stop everybody. Uh, we're not going here. Peter, put away your sword. He heals the guy's ear. And basically Jesus says, I'm the only one that's going to be arrested tonight. And so, and they took Jesus and everybody flees. 
Well, where did they go? We know at least one, and this is back in the Gospel of John, we know at least one didn't go too far. See, again, it's the Mount of Olives right outside the eastern side of the Temple of Jerusalem, the old city of of Jerusalem, and there's a lot of olive trees on the Mount of Olives. So most likely, Peter didn't run too far. He ran far enough away so he's not arrested, he's not taken, but then he's watching Jesus, and, uh, and, and, and he sees them take Jesus, and he sees the torch club crowd and take Jesus back into the city, and we know that Peter follows him from a distance. So here we go. So verse 53, and they led Jesus back into Jerusalem to the high priest, to the house of Caiaphas, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. It took a little time for the 70, for the Sanhedrin to gather in his larger house. And so literally in John, we also know some more detail that they first take Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane, right on the western side of the Mount of Olives, and they first take him to the uh, earlier high priest, a guy named Annas, A-N-N-A-S. And actually, he is the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And so they first go to the house of Annas, and they get a few questions out of the way. My guess is it's because it takes time for the 70 to gather for the real trial at Caiaphas' house. And so someone sends a text, we're all here, we're good to go. So then Peter follows Jesus and the, and the crowd and the Romans and the Jews from, from Annas' house. Now they go through the streets and they're finally at Caiaphas' house. And this is where we pick up the story. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of Caiaphas. So Jesus is upstairs uh, and he is on trial And now Peter is downstairs outside in a courtyard, warming himself by a fire with some other Roman soldiers and a few servants. So Peter had followed him at a distance and right into the courtyard of this high priest. And uh, he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So it's interesting that Jesus is inside, Peter is outside, and he's keeping his distance. I'm going to bring that back towards the end. And... uh, So now, finally, this is the context here. Let's go ahead and dive right on in uh, to verse 66. Now, what happened, not inside, that was last Sunday. This morning, what's happening on the outside? What's happening in the trial of Peter? Well, here we go, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard outside, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, came up to Peter. And seeing Peter warming himself with everybody else, his hoodie is over his head, that kind of thing. He kind of, she kind of looks at him and seeing Peter warming himself, she looks at him and says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Now, my guess is before she spoke up, Peter was very aware of the Roman soldiers, maybe a little intimidated by those people. He was not intimidated by the servant girl. Until she spoke up. It wasn't who she was. It's what she said. And so, boy, that uh, basically turns Peter towards the denier of, of the story. So you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, verse 68. But he denied it. No, no, not me, not me. I neither know nor understand 
what you mean? And so he, he, he backs off a little bit and he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. Now I'm not going to go ahead and uh, keep uh, focusing on what I'm about to say, but I'm going to go ahead and just kind of push pause and just kind of give you a moment. We need to consider God's warnings as opportunities to repent and turn back to the path God has for us. And it's interesting, remember, and we looked at this more uh, uh, the last Sunday and the Sunday before, that Peter was so confident, along with all the other disciples, that we will never betray, we will never flee, we will follow you to the end, we will even die for you. Remember that? And then Jesus says, listen, all of you are going to run, all of you are going to flee. And Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Well, Peter said, that's not going to happen. He was very confident and self-reliant. Remember back in, uh, in, uh, in Mark, verse 29, 31, back in the upper room, Peter said to him, even though they all will fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, that's not going to happen. I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. We talked about this two Sundays ago where in theology, God's uh, sovereign will doesn't mean he causes everything that happens. He knows all, but he doesn't cause all. So I think Jesus was saying what's going to happen because he knows and it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to remember when Peter knows what he did, he doesn't say, well, I guess I had no say in this. I guess it was just as God said. No, he weeps bitterly because Jesus prophetically said something and he was trying to woo Peter just like he was trying to woo Judas. Judas and we, were talk, we talked about that two Sundays ago. But here's where I want to go this morning. Where in your life has the rooster crowed once? And that is a warning for you to stop and not keep going where you're going before the rooster crows again. I mean, Peter was told, oh, that'll never happen. But when the rooster crowed once, I wonder if he remembered, wow, I just did what I said I would never do. Listen, let's just be honest. We do that. When was the last time you were humble to the point, I can't believe I said what I just said? Can't believe I did what I just did. And then God will say, then, then, then repent, then, then, then come back to me, and then we have a decision to make. I think Peter had that moment. And not only did he choose to deny knowing him, I believe he chose to deny relying on him at that moment. All right, let's get back to the, to, 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 to the passage. And uh, so again, let's get back to verse 69 now. So after the rooster crows once, after he denied once, uh, the girl comes back to Jesus. Verse 69. And the servant girl sees him again and, and, and says, not just to Peter now, but to the bystanders. Wait a second. Hey, everybody. And these are these Roman soldiers being warming by the fires. This man right there is one of them. But again, Peter, before they're all looking at him. But again, he quickly, he quickly denies it. And then verse 70, the last part of verse 70, and after a little while, the bystanders now accuse Jesus. This is the third accusation leading to the third denial. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, yeah, I think she's right. Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse 
on himself and to swear. Peter knows he's in trouble. And the first thing it says, he begins to invoke a curse on himself. What, what might that have meant? Hey, may God strike me dead if I'm a follower of him. You ever heard people say kind of thing like that? If God, if you're so real, just strike me dead right now. That's kind of what Peter said. Now he believed in Yahweh, he believed in Jesus. I think he was crying out for mercy at this point. But he brings a curse on himself, and then he begins to swear. What did he do? We don't know. He might have said, to hell with all of you. Uh, he tried to say something so ungodly that they would think, yeah, okay, you proved your point. He begins to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. It's interesting. Then they back away. Okay, calm down. You're... You obviously are not one of them. I guess you're one of us. And that's, that's, that's how that unpacks. And then verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And notice how his response, he was very aware of his volitional will. He was very aware that he was not a robot, but basically he was making his decisions. And he chose to do what he swore he would never do. And he broke down and wept. There's something about Luke's Gospels. We already looked at John 18. Let me give you a little bit of Luke 22 now. Just a little bit. Because there was a moment that I think caused Peter, as Luke says, to weep bitterly. Jesus and Peter had a, had a moment Remember, Jesus is upstairs in one trial room, probably a larger room, where the 70 gathered and Jesus was convicted. Well, the next step would be that now they got to go to the Roman trial because only the Romans can truly carry out the death sentence. So what do you do? Because Pilate's not awake. This is in the middle of the night. So now after the, the Sanhedrin convicts Jesus, they all go home, and then Jesus is taken from one room maybe to another waiting room, waiting for the morning so they can go ahead and come back all together and hand him over to Pilate. And when Jesus is moving from one room to another, upstairs, Jesus sees Peter, and Peter sees Jesus. That would have been an awkward moment. Take a look at Luke 22, 61 to 62, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered saying of the Lord how he said, how he had said of him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And again, and then Peter went out and wept bitterly. <clears throat> how you handle that moment is huge. You're going to have those moments. I have and I will have those moments when I'm going to do what I said I would never do. I'm going to misbehave. I'm going to go ahead and be more driven by fear than faith. And I'm going to wonder at that moment what to do. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this, and I'm going to probably bring it up towards the end maybe, but what would Jesus' face look like? Now, again, there's enough of Scripture that we know that we're going to spend most of our time with. But let me just kind of just push this a little bit especially for some of you that have similar religious baggage like me. I was raised in a church where basically I came to church, but 
honestly, I kind of saw God as this big principle in the sky. I just saw him typically angry and disappointed with me. I could never live up to my own standards, let alone his standards. And I always felt like I was disappointing him because I always felt like I was disappointing everybody else. Surely, God, I'm disappointing you too. I am convinced based on the character of Christ, based on what we know of Jesus, and based on the rest of the Gospels and the rest of the Scriptures. Jesus was not scowling, looking down at Peter. That was a look of loving compassion. I love you. I'm not done with you. And I hope you remember, I'll see you again. Remember what Jesus says, we will see each other again in Galilee up north. So some of you, you've had these moments. Maybe some of you right now, you're living this moment where you know you are on a path that God doesn't want you on. And you literally are really hesitant to get honest with God because you don't want that scowl looking down on you. That's your baggage talking. That's not the Bible. And let's see, uh, as this story unfolds, uh, what Jesus and Peter do with, 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 with each other. Um, but let's get back to this story. So, so Luke weeps bitter tears. Here's what I want to do now. It's not just Peter on trial. I'm going to put you and I on trial. I'm going to put us in that courtyard and put me in this courtyard, and then I'm going to ask these same questions about me. And I'm going to encourage you to allow these questions, these accusations, to be directed towards you. So let me give you the three uh, aspects of this courtyard trial, and then let's see how brave we can be this morning. Remember I said, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, sort of. We'll see. Here we go. Here's the first one. The charge towards Peter and towards me and towards you. Our commitment. First thing that Peter was accused of is who he's following. Take a look at 67 and 68 in Mark chapter 14. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. You're not just with a rabbi. You are following a rabbi. So the first accusation is, you also were following this Jesus, this Nazarene. Question, was there enough evidence that night to convict Peter that he was a Jesus follower? Not so much. That's why it didn't take. Here's a question for you and I. If people were trying to accuse you and I of being a Jesus follower... Would there be enough evidence to convict us? That was the first one. And it's interesting, in John 18, verse 26, we're not going to go there. This servant girl was so maybe hypersensitive on, 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 on rooting out all of Jesus' followers because in John 18, uh, she not only was a servant girl of Caiaphas, she was a relative of Malchus, and Malchus was the one that Peter chopped his ear off. So basically, she had some emotional skin literally in the game, right? And so she was hypersensitive. No, I think you're the one. You're one of those followers. And then Peter says, no. No, I'm not. I'm not following him. Let me give you a couple of references here because I'm going to do this in each of these kind of more New Testament opportunities for us to have some more reflection. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. 
This is what Jesus Christ told his followers. He said, listen, not just follow me generally. Follow me in your relationships. Follow me with your resources. Follow me with your priorities. Let your light shine for people and may how you follow me point people to me. That's pretty much what he said in his sermon. Let me read it for you. You are the light of the world. Followers of me, Jesus said, a city set on a hill where I placed you cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and and put it on a basket. I put you right where I want you so your light can shine. So people can see who you're following. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Follow me in in, in a way so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, some of us, we're tempted to follow Jesus silently. So people see our good works, but how are they ever going to give glory to our Father if we don't give God credit for what we're doing and how we're following? So the first accusation for Peter and for us is, are we truly a visible follower of Jesus so much so that there's evidence the way we live, the way we love, the way we act? Obviously, I'm answering to a different drummer than what culture is saying to do. Look at this next verse. We, we, if you've been around churchy circles, you remember this one. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't answer to that culture, to that drummer. Follow a different drummer. Follow a different leader. And it starts with being transformed by the renewal of your mind. You need to think differently than the way the world thinks. You need to have a different priority set than what the world says, what success is, what life should be about. No, when you follow Jesus, you have a different set of values. The way you treat others, the way you uh, treat yourself, the way you see yourself, the way you see others, the way you see the Lord. So that's the first one. Uh, Peter was on trial whether or not he was a follower of Jesus. Here's the second one, our community. It's interesting, the the girl then told the bystanders, and it's not just you're a follower of him. What What she says now is, no, 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 you are with them. You are part of the community, the group of people that claim allegiance to this Jesus. Look at Mark 14, 69. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Question. At that moment, Peter denies it. Is there enough evidence in your and my life that it's not just faith in Jesus, but you're one of a group of people that are walking with Jesus? And I tell you, you know, there's metaphors of the church. There's descriptions of, of, of how God wants us to relate, not just with him, but with one another. And one of the most powerful ones, matter of fact, the most common that Paul uses in his letters is body. We are the body of Christ. Now, why would Paul say that over and over and over again? Again, it's the most common metaphor that he uses because it's not enough to believe in the head except Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus says, now be part of the body. Be connected with other members. And so the question for us is, is there any, is there enough evidence in your life 
that your faith is more than just a vertical ascent, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus came and died and rose again. Jesus has secured my home in heaven, and I'm forgiven now and fueled by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's good Christian doctrine. You know, Jesus and Paul and the whole Bible encourages us to have a sense of vertical commitment, but also horizontal commitment and connection. And so again, you are one of them. I wonder if you would not only be accused one of him, but are you connected with other brothers and sisters so much so that there's evidence in a courtyard or wherever? No, 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 I am one of them because... What would you point to? And I tell you, I've shared this with the first service. Most of the other regions of the church around the world are better at that than we are here in the United States of America. And uh, there are many of us that say, it's all about me and Jesus. And I don't know if I have time for the rest of you. And uh, so, I mean, let me give you what Paul said. Again, he, he talks about the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, and then all the way through to verse 27. God arranged the members in the body of Christ, each one of them as he chose. Do you know that God has a place? If you have crossed over, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He doesn't want you just to stay vertical. He wants you to be part of a body membership. He wants you to be connected. You know, this body Part. It's kind of like you don't see a, a, you know, a kidney bouncing around the sidewalk all by itself, you know? You know, body parts are meant to be part of a, of, of, of a body. And, and here's the deal, too, and I think this is why it's so masterful that Paul talked about this. You can't be practically, literally connected to more than one body. Some people say, well, I'm part of the church universal. Well, what is that? You know, that, that's this faith in Jesus. But listen to the church universal is in the local churches global, around the world. So where, and again, some of you, Sunday is, good, is a good day. But this is all church is for you. And I would encourage you somewhere, somehow, find a small group, find a class. We offer a bunch of them. But here's the problem. Bob, I would, but I'm so tired in the evening. Or then I got to wake up earlier in the morning. I get you. But God says, I want there to be enough evidence in your life that you follow me and you follow me in community. So uh, let's keep going. So then here's the third one. Our choice of words. Our choice of words. So verse 70, after a little while, the bystanders now again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. What is their accusation? For you are a Galilean. What's that? We know you are one of them because you talk like them. See, there was a Galilean accent. You know, you have Galilee, you have Samaria, and you have Judea, three major regions of Israel. And the Galileans, the, 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 the hillbillies, the, the, the poor people, they, they talked different. There was a Galilean dialect, just kind of like Minnesota, Boston, or y'all come wherever you are. And all those kind of, we have different wonderful accents all around the world. And so literally, Peter's words and his dialect was accusing him. Does that make sense? So then he had to make fast work. He said, okay, yeah, they got me there. So I got to really make sure I don't sound like a Jesus follower. 
And therefore, he just kind of goes at it and he says pretty rough stuff. So much so where they say, whoa, okay, back off. Okay, we got you. You, 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 you obviously are not one of them. Uh, you, you, you are one of us. So, church, Bob, we're all in this together. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Is he? How are your words? How connected are you to real community? And how are you doing when you follow Jesus, when he wants to lead you in a way that really is uncomfortable? But here's where I want to go for the rest of this morning, because uh, the, the, the mouth that we have, the words that we choose, uh, I'm going to stop the gospel story. We're going to get back into the Roman trial next Sunday. But now if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 3, because what I want to do, I'm going to push a little bit more into how important it is for our mouths to represent Jesus well. Man, it's throughout the scriptures, and if there was any chapter to really grasp and, 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 and meditate on, I think there's 18 verses in James chapter 3. The whole chapter is about the power, the purpose of the, of the, of the mouth, of, of the tongue. And uh, so I'm just going to give you the first part of it, and then actually in some of the small groups that we have, you do a sermon-based discussion guide that we put together, you're going to unpack the rest of it um, if you're in one of our groups. But for now, let's take a look at, uh, at, at James chapter 3. Uh, he sets the tone for this in James chapter 3, verse 2. Take a look. For we all stumble in many ways. You do. Peter does. What do you do when you stumble? We're going to spend some more time on that in the weeks ahead. But right now, let's take a look at what comes out of our mouths. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble, notice what he says. In what he says, that's the focus. If you don't stumble in what you say, then you're perfect. That's kind of what he's saying because uh, you're, you're a perfect person. Uh, you're also able to bridle everything else. He says, our, our, our mouths keep score. <laughs> our mouths are a good measurement to our maturity. And let's just all agree that that's, pretty, that that's pretty humbling. We all say the wrong things at times. And we all say the right things at the wrong time. That would be wrong. We all say the right things at the right time with the wrong tone. And that would be wrong, right? Right. And so again, this is some rough stuff. And there's so many hurt feelings right here in this room because of what was said to you, what you heard. And there's so much guilt in this room based on what you know you said and how you said it and who you said it to. Listen to me, we're all in this together. And so let me kind of walk this through a little bit because at the end, I'd love for you to pray and say, God, would you help me with my mouth? I want the words that I share to be more of an opportunity for me to be found guilty that I'm a follower of you. That's where we're going to go. So how do we do this? Let me give you some stuff to write down on your outline. So why Watch my words. Again, towards the end of this, there's some how. And we're not actually going to get to that. Uh, there's some good passages that, but I'm going to start with the why. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the how. Uh, so let's take a look. My words direct where I go. What does that mean? If you don't like the trajectory, the direction of a certain relationship, 
you might want to change what comes out of your mouth in that relationship. Let's talk about this just a little bit. My words literally direct where relationships can go. Look at James 3, 3 and 4. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole horse body, this whole huge animal as well. And then look at the ships, look at the harbors, these massive boats. Also, though they are so large and they are driven by strong winds, they are guided by, they are directed by something a lot smaller, their rudder. And a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The idea there is a huge horse can be led by its mouth. And a huge boat can be led by a little rudder. And it says in in the boat, there's strong winds and waves that want to drive this boat a certain way. But if you can go ahead and, and manage your mouth... Your, your, your mouth can change and you don't have to go with the wind and waves. You don't have to go with the tone in the room. You don't have to return kind for kind. God can give you the power to change the trajectory of these words. And thus that'll help changing the trajectory of the relationship. So uh, my words direct where I go. So again, if you don't like the direction of our relationships, we might consider a change in the way we communicate. Some of you might be saying, well, then uh, I just won't say anything at all. I'm going to go ahead and keep quiet because I don't want to get in trouble. Heard about a guy who said, you know, I'm going to get away from it all. I don't want to say a word. And so he wanted to get away from it all, and he joined a monastery. And this certain monastery had a three-year probation that you couldn't say anything out of your mouth except for two words after each year for three years. Follow me? And so he joins this monastery, just not saying a word. At the end of the first year, the priest that was the supervisor says, son, we're so glad you're here. What would you like to say? Bed hard. Thank you, my son. Second year, my son, welcome back. What would you like to say? Food cold. Thank you very much. After the third year, what would you like to say? Your probation's over. I quit. And the supervisor says, well, that doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complain since you've got here, right? Yeah, I didn't share them the first service. I was, maybe I shouldn't share them. So the idea there for some people, you know what? I don't want to say anything. That's not a good answer because God wants you to be nonverbal and verbal followers of him. So if, if you have a problem, if I have a problem with what comes out of her mouth, don't ignore it and don't basically say, then I just won't say it. But go, go deeper than that. And that's where we're going to go. So here's the second one. My words also diminish what I have. They can diminish. They even can destroy what you have. This is the power of words. This is, what me, this is me with the scriptures trying to get your attention because our words matter and the power of our words can really help or really hurt. And not just horizontally, but vertically. They can really help us bring glory to God or they can help us put a stain on our ambassadorship for Christ. 
So what does this mean? My words diminish what I, what I have. So take a look at verse 5 and 6. So also, not only is it can direct your life like a, a bit in a horse and a rudder on a ship, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It's so small, but it can make a great impact. How? How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You guys know this, right? One spark turns into another spark, turns into a chain reaction. Have you ever had these conversations where you say just one short word, well, then another short word, and then, another, and then basically it's no longer a, a little fire. It's, it's blazing the whole relationship. It's burning up things and, 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 uh, and all that. Well, again, that's, that's, that's the power of words, and you really can't say things. Some of you, you remember what is said to you back in second grade, third grade, high school, whatever, and it owns you. And that's for another time, but you've got to get free from some of the baggage, some of the labels that some people have put on you. But this is really more about our mouths than theirs this morning. So how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is set among our members. Notice it's staining the whole body. It just, just a little mouth can, can stain everything, setting on fire the entire course of life and literally set on fire by hell itself. You're not bringing glory to God. You're just burning up everything God wants to go ahead and, uh, and shine bright through. So again, a little bit of how, when I was thinking about this, my words can diminish what I have, even destroy. I think practically what that means for me is, I remember when the kids were in our house. We have four boys, they're all gone. Now it's just Rond and Cooper, right? My little cockapoo. And, uh, but even now, I can come home. And let's just, I'll just say it and then see if I can invite you into it. I get grumpy, I get tired, I get impatient. I get edgy, right? And so when I'm feeling that, what comes out of my mouth? Not that godly stuff, right? So I remember literally growing up, or my kids growing up, I'm home, and it's been a long day, and I'm tired and grumpy, edgy, whatever, and I come home, and the sparks that come out of my mouth, they can literally set the tone and the temperature for the entire night. I saw it. Actually, Ron said, Bob, do you realize the first minute you come home, you set the stage and how safe it is and how at peace your kids can be? And, uh, and I still do that the same with, with Rhonda. So again, we both are aware and, and we're all there. And uh, matter of fact, this past Thursday, uh, Sunday morning or, or Thursday morning Bible study, Rhonda was saying that uh, they were talking about this where, you know, sometimes we wake up edgy and impatient and, and, and grumpy. And so one of the gals asked Rhonda, well, so Rhonda, do, do you typically wake up grumpy in the mornings? She says, no, I usually let him sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. That, none of that is true. Rhonda's not here. That is not true. She's, so anyway, so, yeah, but, but what is true is this. How many times have I and how many times have we, we just let it all hang out and then basically it just scorches people and scorches an evening and now you have to play a lot of catch up and God says listen before you have to play a catch up grow up in a sense and and God set a guard over my mouth keep watch over the door of my lips especially when I'm grumpy tired edgy cranky no I want to use my mouth for good and not for self good to go so my words can diminish even destroy what I have look at James 3 7 and 8 
Uh, For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But notice verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. Now You notice what James just did? Your mouth is huge. Maybe not in size, but in impact. And it, it, it can change the trajectory of a relationship. It can set a whole house on fire. And then... Don't think you can change it all by yourself. So he creates a problem, then he says, you're not the answer. Here's the good news. God is the answer. He says, listen, with mankind, it is impossible. But with God in charge as your captain, as your Lord and your Savior, he can help mature you. He can help empower you. And your mouth can be more for blessing than, than cursing. But notice this, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, if you had the potential of, of spewing poison, wouldn't you want to get a, a, a handle on that? And that's what James is. And the way to get a handle on it is to be humble about it. God, I need you. I don't want that to come out of my mouth towards him or towards her, towards them. I don't want to be so driven by the waves and, and, the, and the winds of my day that I, that I ruin an evening, right? And so God says, let me empower you. Let me help you. And now here comes the solution. Here's the last part, and this is where we're going to start wrapping up. Uh, my words direct where I go. My words can destroy or at least diminish what I really want to cherish in my life. But number three, my words display who I am. This is a game changer for some of you. Because I've heard people say this. I've heard people write this. Well, you might just have had a bad day, but that really wasn't you. Have you ever done that? You do something physically or verbally, and then you quickly defend yourself, thinking, well, that wasn't who I am. That's not me. That was you. That wasn't all of you. That was me. That wasn't all of me, but it surely should get my attention. My words display who I am. And this is kind of where, where he goes here. So first he talks about this inconsistency of our mouths. And that should lead us towards humility. You can have a good day with good words, and then on a dime you can you know, do the other stuff. Take a look at James 3, verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people and, uh, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. You know that that's true. It's true for me. These things ought not be so. So then what do we do about it? Take a look at verse 11. And this is where uh, the, the root of the problem is, and this is where the solution is found. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water? Well, no. What's it saying? Whatever's inside comes outside. You can put a sign on it. That's not going to change anything. But if there's something inside... It's going to come out. That's the point. So I guess my words display who I am, whether I like it or not. Man, that's a game changer. Because then if that is who I am, how can I be a better am? How can I be a better me? 
If I can't change, who can? And God says, give it to me. Give it to me. Give your life to me. Take a look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of you, that's a game changer because you thought your problem was above the neck. It's not. There's a heart issue. There's a gut issue. And there's something in you that's coming out and the stuff that comes out you don't like and the people around you don't like it either. Let me tell you about another game changer for me because again, this is not just for those who are not following Jesus. And honestly, it starts Real change, real transformation starts at salvation. It doesn't stop there. It starts there. Um, But I tell you, a game changer for me uh, is Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is one of the many letters that Paul writes to Christ's followers in the first century. He just says, guys, don't go back to legalism. Stay faithful to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he says, listen to me. There is a civil war going inside you. Self and spirit. And literally what he says is, and pay attention to your mouth because your mouth typically keeps score which one is currently winning. That's, that's the context. Take a look at Galatians 5, though, 17. It says, the sinful nature in a Christ follower wants to do evil. There's, there's still a pull south towards sin, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us. Who's the us? Those in Jesus. Those who have bowed the knee to him. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit, gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces in us are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You know, some of you, you were raised in churchy circles where you could never admit how much struggles you have. Listen to me. Christ's followers struggle. We all struggle with our words. We all struggle with our thoughts. We all struggle with our actions. What are you pretending? It's not a problem. God says you can either humble yourself and get help or you can protect yourself and stay weak. So my, my words display who I am. I guess what I'm, I'm doing right now is I'm coming after some of you. Don't defend it. Don't excuse it. Get help with it. And, uh, and then this is the last verse for the morning. James chapter 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Here's the deal too. Well, I guess it's not that big of a problem because I know a lot of Bible above the neck. This is where James concludes his case that you need Jesus to help manage your mouth. Maturity is not about education. It's not about uh, degrees behind your name. Notice what he says about who the mature and who the immature are. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and meekness of wisdom, being gentle, being under control, being a a non-anxious presence in the room, being the patient one when everyone else is not. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast how mature you are. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There you will be disorder. There will be disorder and every vile practice. I guess I'm coming after this because I want a church that's unified. I want to be part of a church that gives glory to God based on how He heals and reconciles relationships when mouths are more managed by His Spirit than our self-effort. Good to go. So let's go back to a courtyard. Peter initially was following at a distance. Do you remember that in Mark 14? Listen to you. Some of you, that's right where you are. I'm following at a distance. Now what will you do? My guess is you're going to get farther or you're going to get closer. You can't stay in the middle. We invite you to be part of a church family and we can help together grow healthier vertically and healthier horizontally. All for him. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for the opportunities, for miracles in our lives as we say, God, you and your spirit are welcome in the areas of my life that need (laughs) the most work. Father, I thank you for the safe place that we can have at Grace Point Church where we can finally be real. We can finally get help. We can finally grow. And our words can bring you and others more glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things that I look forward to every Sunday is a response of worship after God's word kind of whispers into our lives. How does God want to hear from you right now? I pray that you're responsive. I'll be right back. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come from this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your praise 
Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your
Yes, Faith in Action is coming up March 5th. Can't wait to see you there. I'm going to have more to say about that in just a second, but uh, we've got some business to take care of. Since we are a body, um, can I ask a favor of you? I would like to invite you to pray with me for uh, the, the earthquake victims in Turkey and in Syria. The, uh, the last number I heard was 33,000 people have lost their life as a result of this. It's surely going to climb. Those numbers are out of date as soon as they're announced. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's tragic. And Turkey and Syria both have uh, a special place in my heart for, for reasons I won't get into here. But um, we don't manipulate your emotions around here. We try really hard not to. So that's not what this is. But I, I would like you to look at this picture uh, you see the, the rescue workers where a building obviously used to stand. But um, I, I want to point out all the buildings adjacent to it. Um, they're, they're mostly intact. Uh, the windows aren't broken. You know, uh, I, I suspect if we looked inside, the, the furniture would still be there. But those, those buildings are uninhabitable as well. Um, those people are evacuated, living in a tent somewhere in the middle of winter, because you wouldn't sleep in that building, and they won't either. Um, so when you hear these numbers of how many people have lost their lives, just know that the, uh, the impact is an order of magnitude bigger than that. This was somebody's business. That means that they sold curtains and fabrics. And you can imagine this was a bustling place just prior to this. And uh, this, this car, I mean, it's, it's the scale of this is, is unimaginable. And I'd like to ask us for just a moment to, uh, to pray about this together. Is that okay? Let's pray. Lord, we do unite together as a body. We lift up the earthquake victims of Syria and Turkey to you. We pray for those working on the search and rescue teams. Would you continue to give them success, as we've seen, for those freeing the victims trapped in the rubble? Would you keep them encouraged? despite the horrible job that they have to do in the dismal conditions. We pray for those that are displaced by this event. Would you provide them with safe, temporary shelter quickly, Lord? Lord, together we mourn with those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Lord, I ask that Psalm 34, 18 would be real to them, that you would be near to the brokenhearted and that you would save the crushed in spirit. Lord, I ask for, for mild weather. I ask for the provision of warm blankets and sleeping bags and tents for those that are outside during the winter. We pray for these, uh, these Syrians who have already been subjected to decades of civil war and, and violence in many forms. Lord, I pray that as a result of this, that many would meet your son and gain the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I pray for believers that are in this region, that they would be empowered to minister in this time of crisis. I pray for the local and the international aid workers that have been activated to respond. Would you give them overflowing hope that they can share with the afflicted? Lord, we pray for first responders and their families. We know that they have experienced immense trauma during this time. Perhaps they don't even realize it yet. Lord, would you, would you comfort them? Would you be close to them? Lord, I ask for wisdom for the governments and the authorities that have to facilitate and coordinate this work. Lord, in spite of all of this, Lord, we, we are confident, even though we don't understand it, we know that you are on the throne and that you are still God. And Lord, for that reason, we lift this all up to you. In Jesus' mighty name I ask. Amen. All right, thank you for that. Um, 
I will have an opportunity for you to respond in a tangible way as part of our Faith in Action program. And uh, it's a good segue into this. Uh, while you're here, I would invite you to go to the gazebo and, uh, and sign up for, uh, for one of the Faith in Action activities. Um, you can do that today, and it's a great opportunity to ask any questions that you might have. There'll also be an email that you'll see. Um, if, you, if you can't sign up today, if you're just unsure, uh, look for an email in your inbox. If you're, if you're not getting our emails, make sure you fill out a communication card so you do. But um, these are some pictures of past things, past things that we've done for Faith in Action. There's some, some yard cleanup. We, we picked up trash on the beach. We washed the police cars. How cool is that? Uh, in addition to that, we've got some projects for you to bless our local ministry partners at the San Diego Rescue Mission and at Bridge of Hope. We also have um, a new thing this year where um, I'm looking for, for people that are in this congregation or perhaps connected to this con congregation who need help at home. Maybe that's cleaning the rain gutters, maybe that's changing the batteries in the smoke detector, just some general cleanup stuff. If that's you, if that's somebody you know, would you write that on a communication card so we can, we can uh, pick some good candidates for us to bless in that way? And maybe uh, that's something that you want to be a part of the solution to. Regardless of where you fall on that, Outside, uh, I've got details for all these projects, and you can sign up for your, you and your family on that list. If you've got uh, a beautiful red shirt like our spokesmodel had, bring that too. But if you don't, I'll have shirts for you. So uh, if, you, if you have a shirt, let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to assume I need to get one for you, and I'll have those uh, soon. I don't have them today, but I'll have them beforehand. The other thing you need to know is that we are going to meet here at 9.30 a.m. That's, uh, that's earlier than you normally are here if you go to the second service. But we're going to come together at 9.30. We're going to leave and disperse and go to our projects at 10 o'clock, unless your project is here. One of those projects I mentioned earlier is uh, Relief for Turkey and Syria. We are going to pack up some uh, hygiene kits and some, uh, some disaster cleanup kits. That means uh, work gloves and, and, and masks for your face and big heavy-duty trash bags. We're going to package all this stuff up in, in five-gallon buckets. We're going to ship it off, and it's going to make its way to uh, to the epicenter of this. And so I'd love for you to be a part of one of those projects. You can only pick one. But we're, if, if you're torn, don't worry. We're going to do this again several times this year. So uh, 